Good afternoon. If you would like to go ahead and take your Bibles up and open them again to the book of Mark, we're going to continue a thought that we started this morning. As we looked at Jesus and Him feeding the 5,000 and the lessons that we could learn from, uh, from that miracle, and I would like to continue our thoughts in the miracles of Jesus and again turn to a time where He was found feeding the multitudes. Uh, but before we get into, into that account, I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus came first to the Israelites, first to the Jews. He focused His attention on the house of Israel. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 5-6, through 6, we read about that limited commission that we talked about earlier this morning. And He said to those that He sent out, you go to the, the, the house of Israel, to the lost of the house of Israel, because that is the, the intention that, uh, that the plan of God was built around, that the house of Israel would receive that first. Don't go to the Gentiles. Also in Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, we have a Gentile woman speaking to him, a Syrophoenician woman. And she's speaking about her daughter who, who was, who was uh, in need of healing. And, and he told her, I was not sent to the Gentiles, but to the house of Israel. But even in these we see wonderful examples of the goodness of God being bestowed upon Gentiles. And they benefited much from the physical presence of Jesus. That same Syrophoenician woman who, who went to Him and was told, I came to the Israelites, her daughter was healed. And as Jesus went throughout the area of the, the Decapolis, which was a, a heavily Gentile populated area, there were many who were healed and many who, who were, uh, had, even had demons cast out from them in those places. And then in Mark chapter 8, it's in this place we also read about the feeding of the 4,000. Now I want to take a little bit of a closer look at this miracle of Jesus, the feeding of the 4,000, and learn from it as we did this morning things that we can learn about God and about His character. First, let's consider the setting. Mark chapter 8 and verse 1 is where we read about uh, this, this miracle. Mark chapter 8. And it says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called His disciples to Him and said to them. In those days is the, the setting for this, but that means we need to look back a little bit to find out what days He's talking about. In Mark chapter 7 verse 31, we find Him departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Now Jesus' journey from Tyre and Sidon towards, uh, through the Decapolis would have meant that he was traveling on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River. Tyre was over near the, the uh, Mediterranean Sea. And as he came down and through the Decapolis, he would have been heading towards the southerly portion of the Sea of Galilee. So if you're picturing the Sea of Galilee like we were this morning, and you have Bethsaida at the north where the 5,000 were fed, Jesus is here on the southeastern side of the, of the, of the sea um, as, he, as He prepares to, to feed the 4,000 in this account. And as He comes down through here, and he, he meets many people that would have been of the Gentile persuasion. We're not talking about a lot of Jews, although Jews would have been in this area, but it was a mixed population. He is healing those and He is uh, teaching those as well as He comes. And we also see, <clears throat> we also see that in, as He get, comes down in this area that a great multitude 
begins to follow him. And they follow him for three days uh, that they are gathered together with Jesus, but, but they're gathered with him for these three days out in the wilderness, out in the deserted places, away from villages, away from their homes. And as verse 1 said, they are without food. And so this kind of sets up the setting for us in the first three verses. We've read verse 1. Verse 2 is Jesus' response uh, and seeing the, these, this multitude with nothing to eat, he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. <clears throat> so this is the setting for what we're about to read as we, <coughs> excuse me, as we read verses 4 through 10 to describe to us the miracle that he performs. It says there, then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? That's funny. These are the same disciples who just previously witnessed him satisfy people with bread. One might wonder if it's not because of the audience that is around him now, if maybe they have, they have changed their mind on whether or not he would actually perform a miracle for this mixed group of people consisting largely of Gentiles. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? People consisting largely of Gentiles. He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. And so they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got into a boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. So there we see the miracle being, being performed uh, here. It was a miracle that was prompted by Jesus. Jesus looked at them, and he saw, he had compassion, he saw people who were hungry, and, and, and he said, we need to feed these people. It was a, message, a, a miracle that was unexpected by his disciples. They didn't, they didn't have foresight on this, uh, which is, is shocking to, see, to say the least, since they had already seen on this, uh, which is, is shocking to, see, to say the least, since they had already seen this miracle performed with a larger group. It was a miracle that was consisting of seven loaves and a few small fish that occurs after Jesus gives thanks for the, for the sustenance that had been given to him. And then this time we have seven large baskets of leftovers, uh, having, having fed these 4,000 men plus women and children. Now there are some, some observations that I think can be made when we compare the two miracles that we've read about today, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. The first one happens near Bethsaida at the top of the Sea of Galilee, while this one being in near Decapolis. And we know that during this time, Jesus is, is moving through an area that is filled with Gentiles, uh, is predominantly a Gentile area. There's a lot of Greeks in this area. The Decapolis means ten cities, and it was a Grecian term. Um, but the ones near Bethsaida were those who were on their way for the Passover. They were the ones that recognized him as the prophet and wanted to make him king. They were Jews. And so we have a, a very likely a different audience that is here. The first of the encounters, the Jews, they were with Jesus for only a day whenever they, whenever they were fed, and they were near villages. They, they were, uh, the disciples said, let's dismiss them to go to their homes and get something to eat. 
uh, or at least into the towns to get something to eat. While these had been with Jesus for over three days with nothing to eat, and they're in a wilderness place. They're away from places where they can receive food. Jesus uses five loaves and two fish in the first, seven loaves and a few fish in the second, and we see the numbers are different, but also we see a difference in the baskets, or in, in the, the, uh, what's left over and what's taken up. Twelve baskets used in the 5,000, but seven large baskets. This is pointed out in Mark's description as he recorded both the 5,000 and the 4,000. He says there were seven large baskets left over at the end of the second miracle, feeding the 4,000. Now, the word that was used for baskets in Mark chapter 8 is not the same word that's used for basket in Mark chapter 6. They're two different words. And one describes a basket that we might consider that you would carry maybe to a picnic or, or maybe uh, to, to store things in the house, maybe a rather large basket, uh, of that, but that one man could carry easily by themselves. The second one, this one that is used here in Mark chapter 8, <clears throat> Now, Mark chapter 8, verse 8, that is the same word that is used in Acts chapter 9 when Paul is lowered over the wall in a basket. This is a basket large enough for not only a human man to, to be hid within, but strong enough to hold the weight of a human man as he descends over a wall. Uh, most, most scholars have found remnants of, of these same types of baskets and they, they described them more like sleeping bags. They were wicker and they were really long and they were really big and usually took more than a, uh, a person to, to pack them around. And this is the, the miracles that we see here. And this is seven of these baskets are what are, <clears throat> what are picked up from, uh, by, by the disciples after this miracle is done. But in looking at both of these and, and, and seeing the differences in them, but seeing that they are definitely two different miracles being recorded here, it's not the same miracle with just, oh, they, they messed up the numbers on this one, uh, being that Matthew and Mark both record the feeding of the 4,000, while Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four record the feeding of the 5,000. But also there are differences in the meanings for these, uh, for, for these miracles as well. And I wanted to just spend a little bit of time looking at that for this miracle, the miracle of the feeding the 4,000. Uh, and very quickly, look at the, one of the things that, was, that we see in this, in this miracle. The first thing that we see is that there is, again, power of Jesus. We see that in the first one. We see that in this one. It's unmistakable. But the power is a satisfying power. And in that, in the power of God, in the power of Christ, we see that He, he has a picture of our needs. Whenever Jesus is, is, uh, is speaking there in verse 2, Mark chapter 8, verse 2, he says that these people have been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. There was a need for the people. Three days they've been following Jesus around. Three days they've, there's been healings going on. There, there have been those who have had, had demons cast out of them and there's been teaching. And now... Now Jesus is saying that for these three days they've ate nothing. And he recognizes that. He sees the situation that they're in. And then also he says that he makes this revelation of the love that he has for them by saying, I have compassion on the multitude. Again, we talked about that this morning. That word compassion is love in action. But then I want us to consider the next thing that he says. If I send them away hungry to their own houses... They will faint on the way, for some have come very far. 
This is a picture of the grace of God. Grace is that which is given that one did, did not earn. These people had not earned their, their right to have a meal given to them. They hadn't done anything that justified uh, someone being obligated to feed them. And yet Christ looks at them with love, sees the need that's going on there, and says, if they, if, if they are sent off, they might faint. They might not make it home. And so I'm going to give them something that they have not earned, that they, that they do not deserve. But then a question of helplessness arises up from this, from the words of, of the disciples. How can one satisfy these people? How can one provide what these people need with just what we have here, with the bread here in the wilderness. And so they looked around, and, and, and for whatever reason that, that might have been, they, they did not think back to the miracle done with the 5,000. And they said, well, where can we possibly get enough bread to feed all of these people? There's a problem, and, and the solution is not possible. We don't have a solution for it. And so then Jesus gives again a command requiring trust, as he did in the 5,000. He says to have the multitudes to set down the ground. And then we again see a manifestation of his power. Those, uh, uh, those who were, were there and, and partook of this meal that he made from just the seven loaves and the few fish uh, fed up to 4,000. And then again, we see this idea of a bountiful supply. He had so much to give to them that after they were done, they were able to take up seven baskets capable of holding a man and filled up these seven large baskets. Now I want to suggest that the similarities between the 5,000 and the 4,000 and the lessons we learn in the 5,000 and the lessons we learn in the 4,000, they are not unlike the gospel of Christ. I believe that they, are, that they illustrate to us the truth of the gospel in these actions of Jesus. And, I, and to, to, as we look at this, turn over to the book of Romans, and we will see so much of this is found in our own lives as well. Not unlike the gospel of Christ and not unlike the fourth, uh, feeding of the 4,000, we saw a need for, uh, or we saw that there was a need. Jesus looked at the people and said, these are people who have not eaten. They are hungry. They need food. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we have a need. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We spoke about this in, in Joe's class in 1 John. There are those who say, I have not sinned, or I have I, never sinned, I'm not a sinner. They're lying to themselves. They have deceived themselves. They are liars because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a need there. And we need to recognize from the, from the feeding of the 4,000 that God sees that need. This isn't just us in a corner off by ourselves dealing with it. He recognizes we have a need. And so there is also love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were not in a corner by ourselves dealing with the need that we have, a need that as we'll get to in a moment, was, was undealable for us. God sees us and He sends His Son, not when we had got to a place where, where we deserved to have His Son sent for us, but rather, as Romans 6.23 says, as a shine of His grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God has given the gift to those who are in need. Those who had fallen short because of sin, 
He, he put His love down upon us in the form of giving His Son and has given us this gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that brings us to the same idea of helplessness that we looked at and in, in that we saw in the people. That there was the food and they couldn't feed themselves and the, the disciples didn't have ability to, to make enough food. There wasn't enough food there for the people. And we had a problem with sin. And we were helpless in that problem. Romans 3 verse 9 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For if we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now, when he was speaking to this, he's speaking in connection to the, to the Israelites of old. And he says, they, this, this great kingdom, these people that think they're the chosen of God, these ones that, that continue to, to, to think that there's, there's no other person than them, they couldn't do anything about sin. Yes, they had a high priest. Yes, they had a system that God had placed in order to make atonement for their sin. And yes, they received forgiveness for that sin, but the sin was remembered year after year. They couldn't solve the problem of sin. Do you think we're any different? Are we better than they? No, man has always, since the fall of Adam and Eve, man has been helpless in meeting this need of, of our sins. And so a, a command is given requiring trust. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? He goes on to say, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also <clears throat> should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we will also... Shall, we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for He who has died has been freed from sin. So He gave us a command requiring trust. I don't know why baptism is the means in which God has given us to follow after Him in obedience and submission and receive forgiveness of sin. I know that he has used that same allegory throughout history, though. But I don't have to know why. I just have to trust that he knows that he's the one behind this because I was helpless. The same reason Naaman was helpless to get rid of his leprosy. And he wanted, he wanted to, to, to have somebody say big and magical things over him and for, for a light show to come down and, and heal him. And when he was told the old dirty Jordan... No, there's, there's waters that are better than that. And he was never given a reason why. He needed to trust in that command. And we likewise need to trust in the commands of God that, that they have been given in a time of our helplessness. They have been given from His grace, out of His love, because He sees our need and He displays His power through those commands as we just read in verses 4-7. through seven. That it was because Christ, uh, the, the power of God is seen in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. That he went into the grave and came out a changed being. A being that was, going, was to go on into eternity and to prepare a place for us. And so we likewise are to go into the water and are to come out changed through the power of God, not working in water, but working within the hearts of man. And then Romans chapter 
8 and verse 31 tells us that that is found in an abundant or bountiful supply. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The power that He displayed in raising Christ from the dead. The, the power that He displays in raising men from death into life in His Son. The trust that He asks from us. The way that He sees us in our helpless state and shows grace and love on us. It is, it is, un, it is abounding. It, it is exceedingly, as we, as we looked in Ephesians 3.20 this morning, it is beyond what we can fathom. It is so immense. And all of this is, that's seen in the, the miracle of feeding the 4,000 is seen within the Gospel of Christ within the message that He brings to restore people from a place of sin into a relationship with Him. That is God's power to save. Now yes, the feeding of the 4,000 was a miracle which was different than the feeding of the 5,000. But it foreshadowed the grace that was to be offered not just to the Jews. As He would go on to say throughout the book of Romans, the Jews rejected it. And how Paul would give anything for the Jews to accept it. But the grace that has been offered first to the Jews now is offered to all men. And that's why for me, the, four, the feeding of the 4,000, it strikes a different chord. Because that's God serving people like me. People like us. People that were not chosen as a, as a, as a nation people who didn't have the, uh, the opportunity to be pleasing to God until the coming of Christ. Until the coming of Christ, until the Gospel was opened up unto all men. This is a show of God's grace and His love and His vision of my life, of your lives. And it reminds us that Jesus knows our every need. He knows the things that we need in this life. And the, the weaknesses that we have, our infirmities, the, the, the struggles and the trials that we deal with, He is touched by those things. And therefore, He supplies our needs through His abundant ability. In Philippians 4, verse 19, Paul also wrote, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches, in glory by Christ Jesus. When Jesus fed the multitudes, He was doing more than just putting food 
in the hands of those who are hungry. He came not to feed the hungry, not to heal the sick, but to seek and to save the lost. And throughout these miracles, it is being shown to us over and over again, the character of God is this. I see you, I know you, and I love you. Trust in me. We need to trust in Him. We need to trust in Him no matter what we're dealing with. No matter what the situation, no matter what the, what the trial, we need to remember that God knows what's going on. And yes, the answer might not be what we want it to be as we take it to Him in prayer. But we trust that He knows better than we do. His wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. He sees the end much better than we do. And so let's trust in the vision that He has. Let's trust in His Word which guides us. Now this afternoon, you have an opportunity to, to give your life to Him. An invitation is given, not, not by the saints here, but by God, by Christ, to come and to follow Him. He commands all men to sit before Him to receive the blessings, to humble themselves as we talked about this morning. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that command? For most of us here this, this afternoon, we've already come to Him in submission. By, by believing in Him, repenting of our sins, turning from our lives to follow in His life, confessing that through our words and through our deeds and being baptized uh, into the, for, to receive forgiveness of our sins. So many of us have done that. If you haven't done so, you have the opportunity now. But for those who have, well, we continue to sit at the feet of Jesus. We continue to eat of the sustenance that He gives us and to walk in a way that exhibits our trust in Him, relying on the power that He has and the love that He shows us in our lives. If you have not done so and you would like to request the, the prayers of the saints here to hold you accountable uh, and would like to, to the saints here to pray for you, for your forgiveness, whatever we can do to help in that, won't you please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.